0: Summarize really what I'm saying. Just always remember it's not always about you. Taking an interest in other people will, you know, actually build your social skills, and also later on, when you're a professional magician, will also probably build your client base as well.
1: Welcome to the mystery behind magic. In today's episode, we talked to Richard Young about how he became a magician, advice on getting gigs being in a double act and his experiences performing on pen But more importantly, he gives loads of advice and insights, which we're really grateful for.
2: Absolutely. Um, great episode. I loved it. And just a few shout outs. We highly recommend his gimmick changing cards, which you can find on changingcards.com. It's basically you throw a playing card up into the air and it changes. Great gimmick. Um, also, his podcast, which has a um, hundred episodes, um, that's called the Magicians Podcast. Uh, you can find that pod, PodBeam, Apple Podcasts, and all your favorite podcasting places. It's informal conversations with some of the biggest names in magic. And also, his Instagram: Richard Young Magic.
1: Enjoy the episode.
2: Hello and welcome to The Mystery Behind Magic. I'm Chinat Kish.
1: And I am Robbie Stevens and in today's episode we are going to be talking with Richard Young. Hello Richard, how are you today?
2: Hi guys, I'm very good, thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much um, for coming on. So, we want to know, how did you get into magic? Um, I
0: think probably the same story you'll hear a million times if you ask that question. (laughs) uh, Which was just a magic box for Christmas. Uh, My godmum bought it for me. Uh, went into the back of the cupboard and got thrown at the back with all the other toys after christmas um i think i got it out in about the may so quite you know five five months later or something and learned uh the ball and vase and the cups and balls and showed it to my parents who as i'm sure we've all got similar stories you know a big part of the reason why i stuck with it was that my parents um told me i was good even though i was rubbish for a long time and um yeah, that was, that was kind of my initial foray into it. I joined, uh, as I know you guys are both members, I think the YMC, which yeah. at the time was new. It, it launched in 96. So you're talking, I think I joined in 97. Um, and I entered there. At the time, it was run by Mark, Paul, and Anthony Owen, late, great Anthony Owen. And um, uh, there was a close-up competition, uh, which I think they still do it, actually, as part of Junior Day. Um, but it was new at the time. I entered it the first year and uh, was sent a very nice rejection letter by Anthony saying I was rubbish. Um, it was it was it was a very polite, constructively criticized uh, letter, which he wrote to me telling me why I didn't get through to the final. And then so I, I sort of worked on it for the for the following year. And the next year I got through to the final and went to Junior Day, which at the time was held in Reading because uh, it was part of the Home county's Magic Society Day. That's the history of the, y- the YMCJ Day, if you don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was the, there were five finalists and one of the finalists actually was Andy Gladwin. Um, and, oh, uh, I don't remember the other guys, but I always remember it was me and Andy and the judges, there was a, uh, one of the judges was a guy called Bob Swaddling, who at the time was a very well-known magic dealer, a bit like how, you know, now you guys know Dave Bonslet, prop dog. Well, Bob was the prop dog of his time, uh, kind of thing. But in terms of, he was also all of the products, which Bob Swaddling sold were his own inventions. And, uh, yeah basically he was one of the judges and he asked me in the afternoon he'd noticed on the form that I lived fairly close to him and he said H- is anybody helping you is anyone you know teaching you magic and I was 14 at the time when I was totally self-taught and I said no anyway so that that day actually I won the competition um and Bob offered to teach me magic and he came to my house every couple of weeks for like I think like three years after this and would he taught me everything from the one-handed top palm to how if you're ever at a gig and someone's vomited in the toilet, clean it up, because that's part of your job to make sure the party goes well. Um So it was a brilliant education, which I got from Bob. Um And uh, yeah, so that, that was my start, really. Kind of, you know, as you guys are experiencing now, the kind of immersive experience of YMC and, uh, you know, obviously I'm... I won't say how old I am, but I'm old enough to the point that, you know, there weren't tricks available on the internet like you guys every ne- every day now can go on and look at, oh, yeah, this trick's out. Let's watch the trailer. Well, that, that didn't exist when I was a kid. It was all just description, you know, in the back of a magazine saying, it's this effect, um, and uh, you'd buy it hoping it was as good as it sounded, and sometimes it was, sometimes it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, that was that's the start of my story. I'll stop rambling.
1: What, what do you think the biggest difference is? are between YMC and your sign and YMC now?
0: Well, I think the the biggest thing is obviously uh, just the internet has made all the difference. I mean, for a start, we didn't meet very often. Um, you know, there'd be kind of, you know, the odd event sort of thing. I can remember the first year that J-Day moved from part of the Home Counties Magic Society's sort of calendar events to sort of the YMC took it over and it moved to the Magic Circle headquarters. I remember, uh, I think the first day Faye Presto lectured and she did this brilliant lecture where she, I think she still does it, where they brought in some normal people and she, uh, you know, did her set for them, lay people, and then asked them all to leave. And then they played the video back and she sort of lectured through her set. And she was so generous afterwards. I remember, you know, all the kids, she would let us all look at her cigarette through coin. And it was just brilliant. And so there's kind of pluses, pros and cons between my day and you, well, the the days you're experiencing now, which is that it was rarer. So it was more special, definitely. I, I see when I come to junior day now, for you you guys, it's sort of just another day, really, um, because you all get together so much and you keep in touch with each other on the internet. I'm sure you're on Instagram chatting to each other and Facebook or whatever, whatever you guys are on these days. Um, whereas in my day it was the only day of the year when I could really meet other young magicians and get a feel of what was popular out there and what wasn't. Um, so yeah, like I said, I'm sounding like a dinosaur, but believe it or not, there was a time where magic on the internet wasn't a thing. And I'm not that old. I'm only in my mid thirties. It just shows how much it's changed in like just 20 years, which seems like a lot, lo- a long time to you guys, but um, I'm sorry to say when you're in your mid thirties, you'll realize it's not a long time at all.
2: And why did you keep with magic? Why did you decide
0: to carry on? Well, I didn't actually. So this is this is actually quite an interesting part of my story, which I don't think I've told before, which is when I got to about 16, 17, I did fall out of love with magic. I sort of dropped it. And the reason was that, you know, I got my first job and I got a car and I got my first girlfriend and, you know, other things came along in life that ultimately were more exciting than, you know, magic. And so I did, I did drop it for a few years and kind of went out into the real world. And um, my first girlfriend, I dated for seven years when I was 16 to when I was about 23. And I I think when I was about 20 years old, I was I was very close with her mum and dad because she lived quite a long way from me. So whenever I'd go and visit her, I'd have to stay for a few days because it was a long journey. And I because of that, I spent a lot of time with her, a lot of time with her mum and dad. And one night we were sat around playing cards and the card game finished and I did a few card tricks. And her dad was like, why have you never shown us this before? I'd never mentioned to them, even though at this point I've been dating their daughter for a few years, that I used to love magic. And I said, oh, I learned it all when I was a kid, you know, and I told them the story I've just basically told you about, you know, the YMC and Bob Swaddling. and, And her dad said, hey, you know, he worked for a company called IBM and they do big corporate events and things. And he said, you know, he said I know that we hire magicians to go around the tables at our dinners and things and they get pretty good money. And um and he's like, you know, you're you're good. Like, you know, you could do it. And so he got me my first gig. Actually, it wasn't in the end for his company. It was for a friend of his. It was a rich dentist. And uh it just that was it. Kind of at the time my job actually I was working in a shop. I was working for a, a shop that's kind of like what Currys is now. It's an electrical shop. Doesn't exist anymore. And um yeah, I, uh, I, I sort of started doing a few gigs, and and it just went from there. But actually, when I look back now, here's something I'll say to you guys: you know, you're probably in the next few years you're going to go to university, and you're going to have the same experience I had, where you're going to get a car and get girlfriends and boyfriends or whatever it is you, you you're uh, is is of your preference, and you may find that magic takes a bit of a back seat. And if it does, it's not a bad thing. Actually, when I look back at those few years when I did drop magic and uh, I my personality developed a lot. And we all know this, actually. One of the reasons we all get into magic, I think, is that we're all a little bit shy or, um, you know, we're not great at sports. We've all We're all a bit unusual, aren't we? I think if we're being fair. And so actually that period of time, when I look back now, where my personality really developed and I didn't always use magic in social events to... At social occasions to kind of connect with people, I actually would just talk to them like normal people do, and they're really, really important skills to learn. So, you know, I I would say to young magicians, actually, is that if you find at the moment that whenever you meet new people, you know, within five minutes you try and do a trick for them, that's great and it's brilliant, and keep doing it. But as you get older, you know, try and actually meet people and not do that and just talk to them and, and stuff because. Particularly now as an older person, you know, and I, I've I worked for many, many years as a close-up magician. And what happens when you work as a close-up magician is that one night you'll be working in a local youth centre. And the next night you could be in a mansion in the countryside working for the poshest people you can possibly imagine. And the real skill that a good close-up magician needs is not being able to do a good double lift. The most important skill a good close-up magician needs is they need to be able to talk to all sorts of different people and connect with them. And so step out of your comfort zone uh, and you know really, if you can, learn to do that. Learn to connect with different types of people and it will pay back dividends over the years if you move into doing magic professionally.
1: What would you say then are the best ways, other than just practising, speaking to people, to build up your social confidence?
0: Well um i think you know the first that's a really tough question to answer what's a good what's a good way to build your social skills i think ultimately is just to be social right just to you know particularly as you guys are going to have in the next few years if you go to university you're going to not just meet people your own age you'll be meeting people from all around the world from all different walks of life you know even if you go to a very you know even if you if you're lucky enough to go to oxford university well there's going to be people there on scholarships that are not wealthy and things you know um so just embrace all different kinds of people and and talk to them. And and here's here's something magicians really don't do that they should do, which is ask about them. The easiest thing to do, actually, is just to say, so what, what do you do? You know, where where are you? Where are you from? Um, you know, uh, how how did you end up here tonight at this party? Actually asking questions. And trust me, everybody, not just magicians, everybody loves talking about themselves. So actually, just by when you say social skills, it doesn't mean you have to impress in a different way. It just means in a way you have to sometimes realize that it's not all about you and, and, and take interest in other people. And there's lots of magicians. You'll encounter them. Some of them are the biggest magicians in the world and the most popular. And, you know, the one thing a lot of magicians don't do is they say, how are you? And actually taking an interest in other people. Is a really good way. I didn't mind telling you this. I, I did a close up job a few nights ago. It was the first close up gig I've done in 15 months. And I got booked to do a, a private dinner party. And uh I did my magic. And I did like 45 minutes. It was 10 people around a dinner table. And at the end, this will often happen. You know, they said, Oh, would you have a drink with us? Well, for years, I would never do that. I just sort of always wanted to get out of there. I think I was fearful that they might ask how the tricks were done or tell me they didn't like it or something so i'd always just want to get out of there but a few nights ago when this happened this lady the, the lady booked me said oh please stay and have a drink with us and i did and i stayed for two hours and i performed magic for 40 minutes that night but i stayed and chatted to them for two hours and i met amazing people uh, one of them i'd never known this one of them used to be an assistant for simon drake another one uh i was in kensington by the way a very wealthy part of london and this other lady who i met said oh um do you know a magician called joe libero now, you guys might not have heard of joe libero but he's a huge hugely famous magician in sweden and i know him because i love illusions but i was very surprised that a lady in london knew who he was and she said oh my husband's from sweden she said and we booked him for a corporate event and so for the next two hours when I was sat at this table, actually, what happened was I got to know all of these ladies and took an interest in them and asked them questions and yeah, they wanted to know a bit about me, but guys, I'm telling you this was this is this is a great bit of advice I can give you if you really want to you know be professional magicians and you want to work the close up circuit or dinner parties or things. If I'd have just done the forty minutes of magic and left, they probably would have forgotten me the next day. They might have remembered what I looked like. They might have remembered even that I put a bottle through a table. But they wouldn't have remembered my name. Because I sat there for two hours afterwards and I chatted to them. They know my name. In fact, not only do they know my name, they know my story because they ask lots of questions about me. And I know their names. If any of these women ever need a magician again, they're probably not going to shop around. They're going to come to me because they feel like they know me now so and this was some i've heard two other magicians talk about this one of them's david penn and the other one is james friedman and they both do this they will have a drink in the bar after the gig and i never did it really for for a long time but it is great advice and if you want a client for life that's the way to do it um is to really you know get to know people at your at your gigs and ask them their name and take an interest in them and, and to summarise, really, what I'm saying, just always remember, it's not always about you. Taking an interest in other people will, you know, actually build your social skills, and also later on, when you're a professional magician, will also probably build your client base as well.
1: That honestly, these are the best pieces of advice we've got from the podcast so far. I reckon. So, just thank you so much. Um, That's okay. <laughs> when I guess, ha- because obviously, you were asked to give out uh to, to like stay behind at the end is that yep. would you say the same for most gigs or is it unusual that they ask you to stay behind at the end
0: it's unusual at bigger events but if like this event that i did it was like it was a ele- it was 10, 10 or 11 women around a dinner table having a dinner party it's not unusual then because you're not you know it's not like where you're doing a gig where there's 20 tables for you to get around you're bombing around the and doing five minutes you know, it's just I was in, literally in a house, and there were these ladies, and I'm the magician for the night, and they wanted to know a bit more about me. So it's not unusual for those kind of events. When and you will get them, I think honestly they're the hardest gigs to do, um, because well, first of all you need the material. You know, if, if if it's a dinner dinner party and it's ten people, you can't do five minutes. You know, it needs to be a bit more substantial. <laughs> sure. So you need, you know. 40 minutes, 50 minutes of material, something like that. And um, yeah, I think if you do that, it's, it's more more often than that they'll say, oh, I'll stay for a drink, you know, or even actually, I mean, I've never done this, but I'm sure David Penn or James Freeman might have said, oh, you know, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'll come and have a drink for, uh, you know, I'll come and have a drink after the performance. It's great, it's, it's, it's no argument. I've seen it firsthand now. Like I so said, there was only 11 people around this table, but since that night, two of these women have been in touch with me. Not to book me, but they just got in touch. Said, "Hey, it was really lovely to meet you last night." That doesn't happen when you're. At a, it doesn't always happen when you're at a gig and there's 80 people in a room and you've got to bomb round them. The ratio of you know the connection there is much much higher. And I I'm certain that it happened because I stayed and chatted to them and took an interest in them afterwards. And it was nothing to do with me putting a bottle through a table.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, connecting to people as well, and trying to you know include their stories in magic as well. I think yeah, that's really important and really good piece of advice. Um, how would you say that a young magician, uh, sort of like fourteen to let's say like nineteen twenty, how should they get experience? Because um, you know, quite a lot of time it's hard to get that first gig or that first booking. Um, how would you recommend them? Or how would, what would you recommend to sort of help that and to get that first gig?
0: Well, first of all, I'm very aware that I'm 20 years older than that. So my advice might might not be right. Uh, it's You know, the world's changed a lot even over the last few years, hasn't it? With social media and everything. So I think if I was 14 or 15, my approach would be very different today than it was when I was 14 or 15. But it's the same advice probably you have heard a million times on this podcast where just... Perform as much as you can um, and, you know, let people know that you do it. And it should never be about the money in the early days. You know, my I don't mind telling you, my first ever gig that I did, I got and the very first gig I got. So I think I was about 14 at the time. It was actually for Sainsbury's Supermarkets. And the reason I got the gig was my brother's wife worked there. And they paid me, I think it was £50 pounds to go in and do... Magic in their staff canteen around the tables on like the last Friday before Christmas, um as a special treat for the staff who work really hard in supermarkets at Christmas time, and they could have offered me no money, and I probably would have done it, so I'd say just just perform as much as you can, don't let the money be an issue, particularly as you get a bit older, you might find other young magicians start going, "Oh, I got paid three hundred pounds last week for the gig I did, or most of the time people like to brag and exaggerate a little bit at, at the early stages really you know it's like when a pilot flies a plane pilots don't say i've worked for the airline for 20 years they say i've got five thousand hours of flight time and i think it's exactly the same with magic you want flight time you know <laughs> and uh so I, I don't know what tricks you call you call it omnideck time or something like that whatever you want to call it but just do it as much as you can and the the work will naturally follow you know get a little business card you know david copperfield the, he's my favorite magician you know david copperfield had a business card when he was like 10 um so you guys can get business cards now you know or you know i don't know if there's a cooler more modern way to do it where you know when you perform for someone you connect them to your instagram or something so that you'll be a constant in their life you you know they'll constantly be reminded of your existence um you know i've got clients now cuz i've been around long enough where i did you know i've done both daughters weddings and things like that so it, it's amazing if if you're good and most importantly is the most important thing i say you know is to be nice be personable be humble you know people like nice people and and that will get you many more bookings than actually being a great technical magician um you know be be polite arrive on time uh stay a little bit longer all these kind of things will mean that you'll very quickly, you'll be a busy magician if you want to be. Um, I think a residency really helps. Um, I'm not sure if they're easy to come by anymore, but you know, I my great friend Rob James is one of the best close-up magicians I've ever seen. Um, I mean, when when he first started, I remember he had a residency in a Frankie and Benny's, um, you know, going around the table. So I think they're really good. You know, again, it's not about the money; it's the fact that you can go in every week. Here's also here's some wonderful that comes from a residency which you might not expect which is you'll see the same faces so if you're going to work in frankie and benny's in london every friday well i'll tell you after a month or so you're going to see the same people who you saw two or three weeks ago because people are creatures of habit and what it forces you to do is to learn more tricks because you'll go over to the table and you'll suddenly realize it's the same people that you performed for three weeks ago and you realize you can't do the same tricks again because they've already seen them And so that's one of the great things that comes from having a residency is it will force you to keep learning to keep, you know, coming up with new ideas and to keep seeing what's the latest thing at Prop Dog uh, to to keep with you so that when you bump into people again, um, you know, you've got something new to show them. When you're a working magician, you don't need that so much. Most people you'll only work for once or you'll work for them once every couple of years. There are exceptions, of course. We've we've all had exceptions where there are clients that book us over and over again, but most of them, you know, you can go back with the same tricks again, you know, five years later, and they probably, they, they, they'll they only remember the bottle through table or the that you pulled the £10 note out of the line, you know, the really memorable tricks. Um, so, yeah, I think it, for a young magician, I, I'm not an expert with social media. I don't really understand it all. Like, I'm sure you guys do. I'm sure that's very important today uh, which it wasn't when I was around, but just get out there, perform as much as you can. Don't let money be a a a, a barrier to you in terms to not performing. You know, going, well. That's not enough money, or you know, you know, Etienne Pradier charges charges more than that. So you know, they're, they're not offering me as much money. Just just perform as much as you can, and you'll get really good. And the more people you meet, the more people will book you later on. It's a wonderful snowball going down a mountain effect. Um. Which is great, you know, makes you feel good when people remember you two or three like years later and say, oh, I saw you at this event. You know, are you available for my party now? You know.
1: Can I just touch on your double act quickly? I guess, how did you just des- yeah. uh, uh, how did you get into being a double act, and why did you decide to do it in the first place?
0: So when I as I mentioned earlier, I first discovered magic. Um, I. Around the same time, it was a wonderful coincidence. But around the same time, I was discovering magic. David Copperfield was a, an enormous worldwide star. I mean, he was like an A-list star in the mid nineties, and he, and now he's he's reached just legendary status. But right in the mid nineties was when he was really like at the the peak of his fame. Up until that point, he's even more famous now. But at that time, he toured the UK, and He was on lots of TV shows over here and I just fell in love with his illusions and his magic. And what was really, really interesting was how, although obviously the only thing I had access to was close up magic tricks and the latest dealer items and stuff. I just loved the big illusions and it was totally, totally inaccessible. So fast forward to the second stint of when I got into magic, which I mentioned earlier when I was my girlfriend's dad kind of reintroduced me all to it of course by then I had a job so I had money coming in so I had a bit of money to maybe buy an illusion and I did I bought the first one I bought was a a mini zag illusion which didn't work properly Uh, if you don't know a mini zag the bottom section pulls out and uh, it was so badly built that the the weight of the person in it meant that it wouldn't it couldn't go back in it was a disaster the second one I bought was an origami illusion, a John Gorn origami illusion from Los Angeles. That cost me a lot of money, literally wiped out every penny I had in my bank account. I think it cost about £4,000. I was only, I was pretty young, you know, I was crazy. I was living at home, my mum and dad, and I was spending all my money on big magic tricks. And then I met Strange. And so Sam Strange is another uh, magician who's based in Oxford. And we were we didn't know each other, but we were both trying to be close-up magicians. And I was hearing his name and he was hearing mine. And we met up and sort of became friends and which, you know, talk about close up gigs in and around Oxford where we lived. And and then I sort of spoke to Strange about the, you know, my love of illusions. I show him videos of Copperfield and things. And there was a little theatre in the next town to where we lived that was 100 seats and Sam and I decided to hire it uh, for the night and try and put on a show where we could do a couple of illusions and things and we we did it and we filled the theater with just friends and family and we put on this show also with another friend of ours as well and it was the most fun i'd ever had doing magic it was just the the high the thrill of it of of being in a theater and i had no stage experience whatsoever nor did sam um was just the biggest thrill of our lives at the time, and so we hired the theatre again and put on an even bigger show, and and it just went from there. And then right around the, when, the time when all of this was happening, Penn and Teller Fool Us was just starting, and we auditioned for it, and we managed to get onto the first series, and then that kind of cemented us then as a double act together, because we kind of got this break of like this TV appearance, but no one knew at the time we'd only been performing together for like just over a year, um. So, yeah, that was kind of that was what cemented us together. And that's the start of the double act.
2: And how would you sort of if somebody you like um, wants to get into a double act or wants to do a double act, how would you um, say how to how do you get started in it?
0: Well, it just comes from friendship. So, you know, you've got a friend who you love and you love sharing your magic with. Um, Do something together. It's fun. Um and you don't have to book a theatre or anything, but doing magic as a double act is is completely different from doing it as a solo performer. First of all, you can do some really the the thing that's great fun about it is when there's two of you, you can do some really cheeky methods. And, you know, you've got you've got two different ultimately, even if you're both going through YMC together, actually you both got you've both seen different things and read different books and learnt different tricks from Prop Dog or whatever. So you'll what's really exciting about it is that you'll come up with an idea and then your friend will say oh actually we could do this with it and then you'll go oh yeah and if we do that we could do this and suddenly an idea that would have been a real struggle to come up with by yourself actually is a double act flows really really easily and so the creative process actually we, we find it harder today if i'm being honest uh but maybe that's just because we're older but certainly those first couple of years that sam and i were together we had lots of ideas and um the second theatre show we did was crazy. It was about 75% of it was tricks we'd never done before. Um, so I would just say, you know, again, it's not a business plan, but it, it can be great fun. It potentially will get you onto a stage, which is hard to to, ha- to make happen. Um, and you'll just diversify as a magician. You'll learn new things. And so I would say, you know, just go for it. If you've got a great friend in magic, just do a card trick on stage together, or think about how could we do this together. Um, and there's some there's some amazing double acts out there, you know. I don't consider Sam and I, you know, even remotely creatively on the same level as like a Morgan and West or a Barry and Stuart. You should go back and watch those two double acts in particular, Morgan and West and Barry and Stewart. Their, their work, their their creativity is just I'm so envious of it. They're so both of them are so amazing. Um, Sam and I really kind of come up with some things but we really just love the spectacular and the silly fun and the jokes and all that kind of thing whereas barry and stuart morgan and west really have come up with some amazing new presentations for old, old effects even methods you know if you're not seeing morgan west um dvd on uh, their their coding system you should watch it it's absolutely incredible um yeah so i'd say just like anything at this stage i think i can answer the question on a broader level Which is, if you ask me what advice I give to a young magician, just have fun. Like, how, what, it's the most wonderful thing. You make great friends with it. I've got literally lifelong friends. You know, I told you Andy Gladwin was in the junior day competition with me. I still meet him for lunch from time to time. Um, You know, and there's loads of other people as well. Bob Swadling, who I told you I met at that first junior day, I spoke to him yesterday. Like, he's now in his 80s and he lives in Florida. He's emigrated, but we're still in touch. So just have fun with it. Um, You know, learn as much as you can, perform as much as you can, and you'll have a wonderful, wonderful life in magic. You just will. There's no way it can't be um, if you just have fun with it and just learn as much as you can and just, yeah, just enjoy the ride. It's been brilliant for me.
1: In regards to a new double act that's just formed, how would you say is the best way to differentiate yourself on stage in a double act? So you, I guess, retain your individuality so people don't just see you as part of the team of a double act. Sure.
0: Well, I think there's a question you have to ask yourself first, which is, do you want to be yourselves or do you want to be characters? Or do you want to be sort of a mixture? Now, to me, uh, the best sort of on stage personas i personally uh, enjoy are uh, when someone is is themselves but they turn the volume up a bit so they accentuate all of their personality traits those are the personalities i you know i i enjoy watching those you know david williamson if you meet david williamson his on stage character he is himself he's just a, he's just louder and brasher and sillier and he just accentuates all of his personality um, so I would say, you know, you don't need to sit down and write a Shakespeare novel to get on a stage as a double act. I think just go up and be yourselves, have fun, um, and you know, maybe have a chat between yourselves and say, you know, what 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 do you like about me, and what do I and what do I like about you? You know, you can have the conversation privately, and if your friend says, well, you know, I really like it when you, uh, you know, when I, I saw you once, um, you know. I do do a hop, skip, and a jump, or whatever it is, you know, and go. Oh, well, if you thought that was funny, okay, we'll we'll try that. And that's what's great, you know. I think going a bit further down the line, if you really do want to start taking it more seriously, or not even taking it seriously, but getting more stage experience, I would advise the best way to do that is to go and do the Edinburgh Festival. So when you're a little bit older. Um, have it you know you can make a plan or maybe if you know you've got great parents in your lives ask if you can visit the Edinburgh Fringe next year if it opens up as everybody hopes it will Um, you'll really get a wonderful feel for it there's it's the most magical place in the world in August there's 3,000 shows that happen every single day there's no barrier to entry so when you go there if you visit you will see the most amazing stuff you've ever seen and you will also see the worst stuff you have ever seen And it's all absolutely fair enough. It's just everyone up there is at different levels. There's complete beginners up there and there'll be comedians up there that are doing their 25th year up there. Um, But that would be my... Sam and I did it. We did the Edinburgh Festival for four years at the beginning of our sort of working relationship together. And it's where we cut our teeth. Some of the material we developed there, we are still doing to this day. Um, It's just brilliant. You'll meet lots of other performers. You'll not only have to understand about how you put the show on but there's lots of other skills you have to pick up too like you know you need to build an audience so in edinburgh there's a there's a festival called the free fringe and it's great because it doesn't cost you anything to do it you still have to go to edinburgh and take all your props and find somewhere to live of course but in terms of what happens with the free fringe is that they give you a room so you'll have a room at say three o'clock every day for an hour And there'll be chairs provided and there'll be a microphone and there'll be some lighting. Very all very basic. But you can put on a show. And the way the free fringe works is that you don't have to pay for the room. You don't have to pay for any of the equipment, any of the chairs, anything. But the audience have to be able to come in for free. Well that does two things. First thing is is that it means you'll get a reasonable size audience pretty easily because there's no cost for the audience to come in. The second thing that it will do is it will mean you'll have to be pretty good because if they're if your show's not good they're probably going to walk out because they haven't paid anything to be there so they're not really invested and what happens is is that at the end of a free fringe show you hold a bucket uh, at the door as the audience leaves and they put in what they think the show was worth and it's brilliant it's absolutely brilliant sam and i did it for four years and What's so good about it is as your show gets better as the month goes on, because of course you're going to work at your show and watch it and record it on your iPad, every show and go home, watch it and make it better for tomorrow. Um, The money goes up in the bucket each day. If, if Not every day, of course, sometimes you have a bad show or an, uh, an audience that's stingy, but mostly you can trust in the money that's in the bucket. If you have a good show, you'll notice that there's more money in the bucket today than there was yesterday. Um, And it's just, it's the place to go. We're so, I mean, we're just so lucky to have it a few hundred miles away. It's in our country, you know, Scotland, obviously, but, you know, it's part of the United Kingdom and you can go up there and put on a show and it's the only place really short of doing some amazing lucky runner show somewhere else that you might land where you'll be able to do a show every single day. Um, And so that would be my advice. If, if you're a double act and you're new and you but you want to take it seriously and you want to achieve a lot, go and do the Edinburgh Festival, go and do the Free Fringe um, in August and you will leave there. There is no doubt at all. If you go there for the month of August, by the 1st of September, you will be probably three times better than you were on the uh, 1st of August. And also you'll meet lots of other performers, again, just like the YMC. I've met some great friends at the Edinburgh Festival over the years. Paul De Bec, who's a brilliant magician, was in our... Um, our venue just by coincidence a few years running and yeah so many so many brilliant performers we've met up there not not all magicians either it's also good because you get to see other other forms of performance art you know you see lots of comedy up there lots of dance lots of plays and things and so in addition to being up there doing your own show you can immerse yourself in the entire world of the performing arts so yeah that that is without a doubt when i look back i mean we're in a show today called Champions of Magic, and we've been really lucky the last three years. We've toured all around America um, doing this show. We met the producer of that show at the Edinburgh Festival in 2011. So at the time, he, my boss, the producer Alex, he was 21. He was just starting out as a producer. Little did we realise that this 21-year-old youngster that we met the Edinburgh Festival will go on to produce what is, I mean at the moment, it's one of the biggest touring magic shows in the world, Um, if not the biggest at the moment because so many things are closed down. Um, So yeah, you'll meet all sorts of interesting people up there. You might not necessarily get your big break up there and become famous overnight, but you'll meet people that will probably come back at different stages in your career and offer you opportunities or bear you in mind for other things. Sorry, that was a very long answer, but yeah, I, I hope that oh, makes sense.
2: Yeah, um, great, great answer and great advice as well. And you sort of mentioned of you'll improve your show quite quite naturally. You know, the more times, um, the more time you will, um, you know, perform, and that's pretty much with anything. You know, more practice, which usually means you're better. Um, but I feel like some magicians can run into this sort of mentality that they see other performers similar age to them and they feel like they're much better and they sort of get discouraged to practice and to perform again how would you sort of recommend um to sort of get over that and and to perform
0: more as well everyone's on their own journey i can tell you that when i was you know in my teens i wasn't very good at school and um you know, I wasn't an A grade student by any means. And I looked around at the time and saw all these other A grade students and thought, ah, they're going to go off to university and they're going to become architects. And they're probably going to live in a big house one day and be rich. And it doesn't work out like that, guys. You know, the, the stuff you're doing right now, there's so much of your story that's still to be told. And just have faith in the process. That's something I heard someone say recently, I can't remember where I heard it, have faith in the process. You know, if you love what you do and, you know, you enjoy the process of practicing and you want to be better and you don't get overconfident, you know, and that's something I would say to be wary of. When you go and perform for the public, especially if you start doing gigs, very, very quickly within, you know, sometimes within minutes of being at a gig, someone will say to you, you're amazing. You're the best magician I've ever seen. Why are you not on TV? You should go on Britain's Got Talent. I'm sure you guys have already heard all of of this. Be very cautious with that kind of feedback. People are being nice. Um, They don't really understand magic. You really have to trust yourself. You know where you are actually in the the food chain of magic and you know where you need to improve and what you should work on. Um, I think that just listening to feedback from non-magicians can be dangerous it can breed an inflated ego or uh, inflated opinion of yourself um i think the way you keep humble is to be around other magicians actually and i think what you described about seeing other magicians who are better than you well there's two ways you can look at that you can either be jealous or you can use it as motivation to go you know i want to be as good as that and that's a choice you can choose you know, which way you want that, how you want it to make you feel. Be inspired by magicians that are better than you and or that can do some things you can't do. And don't necessarily go and try and do that anyway, because if you can see someone who can already do a, you know, perfect second deal and you can't do it, why do you want to go and learn that anyway if, if that magician's the same age as you and is trying to do the same things as you on instagram dude go and learn something else you know there's a million things out there to learn there's a million different approaches so just try and be different don't copy others um you know inspire each other and and try and try and take some sort of uh motivation from seeing others that are brilliant around you rather than taking
2: a negative feeling from it yeah um Definitely. And um, so for the last sort of like 10, 15 minutes, um, we want to talk about, you know, the Penn Teller experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, How did the audition go? or What what was the process like?
0: Um, so we've been on the show twice. Um, the first time was uh, very different to the second. At the time, the first time we were on it, it was very, very new. Um, and uh, so I can say this. Uh, here because I know it's uh, an audience of young magicians so it's quite an exciting story Sam Strange has an identical twin brother and uh, it's brilliant and what? you know when you're doing yeah. illusions it's like wow this could be fun and exciting and so we already kind of had planned in fact we'd already done our first show where we'd utilize his brother um, as a as a method to a trick, you know, an amazing transposition from the back from the stage to the back of the room in two seconds and all this. Um, and at the time, they don't really we couldn't do it anymore. They don't really look identical anymore, but they really did at the time. And so when Foolus came along, I was like, you know, it, after seeing the pilot episode, which had John Archer and Ben Earl on, it became very clear that oh yeah, no, this really is a, somewhat about the method, as much about the method as it is about the routine. So we got an audition and went down. I know it was a great experience, actually, in the room at the time. There was Angelo Carbone and Alan Hudson and Old Walter and magicians were kind of allowed to hang around and watch everybody else auditioning. And they all knew Sam Strange and I, but not very well at the time. And they certainly didn't know he had a twin brother. Um, So we did the audition and uh, it blew everybody's brains apart. And the the way that it was an audition room in London, it was like a whole... There was no way for his twin to get to the back of the room, so instead there was the whole side of the room was all glass windows and so what happened was Sam disappeared on stage and then he was stood on a hill uh outside outside the building, <laughs> and everyone was like, "What the hell and it amazed the the magicians who knew Sam as much as it did the the people from i t v doing the auditions anyway so we we got taken to this kind of back room. And they kind of said that was amazing, and you know, can we ask how you did it? And so we were like, yeah, sure, we'll go and get the secret. And so we went out to the van that we hired and brought in, brought in the, his brother, and they were just thrilled by the method. And um, so yeah, so we got we got a spot on the show uh, as a result of that, and they they loved the secret, you know, as much as they they hopefully liked what we did, but they thought the secret was really interesting. So fast forward to the big night. I mean, at this point, I should also mention, Sam and I have probably, if you watch our first Penn and Teller audition, uh, the, the the first one that went out on ITV with Jonathan Ross, I believe that was the fifth time Sam and I'd ever stood on a stage together. We were completely brand new. In fact, they came to us and said, oh, we're we're creating the graphics. What's the name of the act? And we didn't have, we weren't called Young and Strange then. We didn't, we had never thought about that. So we kind of quickly said, "Oh, we well, call us young and strange," um, and uh, and of course that's that stuck as a result. Um, so we get to the night, and we decided in in the run up to it that one of the things we wouldn't do was we wouldn't do an instant vanish on stage, appear at the back of the TV studio because we we thought it kind of it was so quick that it screamed twin, even to non magicians, um, because. Here's the thing, guys, to think about. A normal person, people who you perform magic for, they don't know what black art is or they don't know what the latest gadget is from Pro Mystic, or, you know, they don't know about coin shells or anything like that. But a normal person does know that twins exist. They know that they do. And so actually, as a secret, it's not that good. Even when it's the magician themselves that has a twin, and as unlikely as that is, it is unlikely not impossible. And so we decided to slow down the transposition and make it look like there was time for Sam to get to the back of the room. So we do it, and Penn and Teller, it, it, it worked. They didn't think it was a twin. In fact, Teller thought that Sam had escaped through the back of the, the set and so we said, so so Penn says, oh, um, Teller thinks that, you know, there's a gap up through the set there and that you exited you through there and, and did a runaround. And so we said, no, that's that's not what happened. The whole studio audience went crazy. Um, they thought we'd fooled them. At that point, I'll never forget it. I saw Teller lean over to Penn and he said, I, re- I could literally read his lips. I saw him say to Penn, then it can only be a twin. And sure enough, it was like they got us. And so they came back to us and they said, uh, we don't really know how to say this without saying it, but I mean, all we can say is, is it something genetic? And at that point, we said, thanks very much. You know, you got us. Penn and Teller was so fantastic. The next night, we weren't there, but uh, we found out overnight they'd had a conversation between themselves and said that they didn't like using the word genetic because it really, said what the method was and so they said can we refilm it so they were filming another episode the next night and they did it as what in tv is known as a pickup shot where they just point the cameras again and make it look like and so if you if you watch it on youtube now you'll see actually pen says uh he's he looks like he's talking to sam and i but if you look at the people sat behind him in the audience they change it's because it's two different nights it was shot and what pen actually says is listen, you're a team, we're a team, but we can't do that trick, can we? Only you guys can do that trick. In other words, he's alluding to the fact that they don't have a twin. Um, So it was really, really kind of them to do that and to kind of, you know, protect our secret. Um, And uh, yeah, it was a really, really great experience. We did the show again in 2016 and we did our cardboard box, which I think is probably the best trick Sam and I do. Um, And we, again, just had a great experience. I mean, the, the TV show now is an absolute machine. When we first did it, uh, in two thousand eleven, you know it was kind of like you got to know people on the show. There was lots of kinda of like interaction um when you do the show now in Vegas, I mean you don't really get to see anyone it's just you're allocated a producer and you sort of deal with that one person and um and you come in on the morning and it's you know a quick rehearsal and then right we'll film it and and then you're sort of showing the door a few minutes after you've done your performance sort of thing and it's just because they're filming so many magicians now, and obviously they're filming so many episodes but it was a great great experience um both times you know it gave sam and i a little boost um you end up with this wonderful clip of you in you know a, a big bright tv studio you know shiny floor lots of lights led wall behind so it, it looks great on like a showreel or any sort of promotional material both of the experiences we've had on the show have been very very positive um I'd, we'd love to do it again it's great to see that the show goes from strength to strength i i've heard recently that they've just commissioned another series again um so yeah i'm sure your day will come guys where you'll be on a show like that uh, if you haven't already and um yeah it's i'd just say just just go for it jump at it um it's you know it's a wonderful wonderful experience if you can get on it
2: thank you um so much great advice great answers um Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate it. Um, It's been my pleasure. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for listening.
1: Thanks, Richard.